Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. I have a great show today. I fell madly in love with my next guest throughout this podcast uh, recording. I think you'll probably hear it (laughs) as it happens. Britt Frank is uh, a clinician, uh, educator, and a trauma specialist. She's the author of the new book, The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Since so many of you are stuck in trying to decide whether to stay or go, I thought this would be a really good topic for us to talk about. Britt received her BA from Duke University and her MSW from the University of Kansas, where she later became an award-winning adjunct professor. Britt's work focuses on empowering people to understand the mechanisms of our brains and bodies so that we can break through procrastination and find our way home to ourselves. Guys, this conversation is amazing. Um, I just want to, before we get to it, quick quick note for Grit and Grace, which is the uh, group program that I will be launching in September. I've been talking about it a lot. <laughs> if you've missed me talking about it, go back um, to that last week's episode and uh, a couple before that, you'll hear me talking about it. Um But just if you want to get on the early interest list, if you're like, holy shit, this is everything I've ever wanted, um, go to kateanthony.com slash private coaching and put your name on the list to be notified about private coaching when I open that up again, because that's the list we're going to launch the group program to first. Just a little behind the scenes, what's happening here. We didn't, I didn't get it together to create a separate list just for interest for this program. So that's what we're doing. Get yourself on that list if you want to be one of the first to be notified when Grit and Grace opens up. And that's all I have to say about that. And now let's hear my conversation with Britt Frank. Britt Frank, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to talk about your book, The Science of Stuck, Breaking Through Inertia to Find Your Path Forward. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. (laughs) (laughs) We are, um, I mean, first of all, this book could not be better for my audience. So everybody just, you know, hit the Amazon right now. (laughs) Make sure you get it. The Science of Stuck. So, okay. Um, like, why do we need this book? Like, why, why did you write this book? Let's start there. So I wish I could say I wrote the book because I wanted to help everyone. And it's like, yes, that's great. I wrote the book for my younger self, who was such a hot, disastrous mess. Like I'm a licensed clinician and I'm a trauma specialist, but like I was a disaster of a human being. And like my 20 something and my 30 something self could have really used to like, here's one book with just some 
bottom lines. Like you don't need to fix yeah. everything. You just need to get moving. Cause like, you don't go from stuck to, yay, my life is perfect. You go from stuck to step one. And I couldn't do that. I couldn't figure out how to get from stuck to step one. And so this book is how to get from stuck to step one. And then once you get on step one, then you get momentum. But when you're stuck, you're not going anywhere. So yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. I was having a conversation with my coach recently about this. Cause I was like talking about my morning routine and whatever. And I'm like, I just want to, here's what I want it to look like. And I laid out this and she was like, yeah, so that's great. That sounds wonderful. How about we just do one thing for five minutes? Yeah, great. I mean, we're so quick <laughs> yeah. to invalidate. Cause I was, I mean, I'm a New York Jew. I was such a snot about that. Yeah. Like, oh, fine. Mm-hmm. Just one thing. Like I'm not going to get anywhere if I'm only doing one thing. If I'm right, right. And you're saying it's okay. Not only is it okay, but like from a neurological standpoint, you're going to get where you want to go faster, taking smaller steps, just like digesting your food. Like you're not going to be able to shove a T-bone down your throat and have it go well. You have to take small bites and then you can go faster. So the fastest way to get out of stuck is to do it in teeny tiny little steps. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So you say, right. And, and I think this, this sort of fits into this box, right? That you don't need a whole stack of books, right? That we all have like all of these self-help books and all of these, right? We don't need a stack of books. Um, and that the science of stuck is like reading 15 <laughs> self-help books in one shot. <laughs> so I'm so they don't need all the books. They just need yours and mine. <laughs> it's such hubris. I'm like, forget all of those books that you have. You just need to read mine and yours. But it's like, I didn't have the bandwidth. I'm sure you didn't have the, especially when I was going through some of the more intense chaos, relational chaos, addiction, chaos, like all the things. It's like, somebody mm-hmm. sum this shit up for me. Please, someone just give me the, the, the Cliff's Notes version of all the things. And so that, that's yes. what I did. And I'm like, all the deep dive stuff is there. I'm very big on attributing credit. If you want a deeper dive, I have a list of every book I cite and every thought leader I reference, but like, here's just enough info. So you can stop feeling crazy because you're stuck, but you're not crazy. There's no such thing as a crazy person. Are you sure? <laughs> I have spent an entire <laughs> career coming to the conclusion that all of our symptoms make sense in context. Even if we're not sure why uh-huh. there is no such thing as crazy. Okay. So so what are the what's the context then? Like how do we know what the context is? So I'll use relationships. Is that too broad a question? Oh no, okay. I love it. Let's use relationships because that's my audience. So obviously a lot of people are stuck, feel stuck in their relationships. Right. So I'll use myself. I remember going to see my therapist and I'm like, I have depressive disorder. Of course, this was before I was a therapist and I would diagnose myself. I have panic sure. disorder and generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder. Fix me. And she's like, oh, honey, like, no, you're in a relationship. That's really bad. And this is like the sixth time you've dated the same person in a different body and you have childhood trauma and like the environment is not like awesome and conducive and you're being overworked and you're burnt out and, 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 and it makes sense that you're feeling the way you're feeling. Another reason why small steps are so important, especially the relationships that are on the rocks, like the, do I stay, do I go are such huge questions and you'll get paralyzed in that question. So let's change the question so we can get to some answers and get moving. So what would you, I mean, should I stay or should I go is the name of my program. So (laughs) yes, but because that's what they're asking, Right. right? But inside the program, we ask some right, questions. So, so yes, we are in line. But what would what would you say the question then should be? Like, what 
like what, what would be the first step question? I love first step questions. And the, do I say, do I go is the question. And I've been in many relationships where I've asked myself that question and gotten stuck. It's, Mm -hmm. it's torturous. Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So let's break this Mm -hmm. down. What are your actual options? You know, if you're in a relationship where you're financially dependent and you're, you know, medically dependent because they have health insurance and you have children. And if you get divorced and you have a narcissistic spouse, your children are going to get abused. Let's start with what are your choices? What are your resources? Because what do I do largely depends on what your options are. If you have all the money in the world and all the time in the world and all the help in the world, you're going to have more options. And that's awesome if that's you. But for most of us, it's not. And (laughs) we have to figure out like what, 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 is my life going to look like if I walk from this relationship? Yeah. What what am I going to need, and how can I per, like prepare myself on the front ends to do the thing before I even decide whether or not I want to do the thing? It's can you do the thing? And some people can't. And I have so much yeah. compassion that it's not always a viable option. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a uh, I don't know if it's going to be a full chapter of my book or not, but a, a section in my book that's called like health insurance, disability, and other really good reasons to stay because unless you're being abused, in which case there's a whole other, um, many other chapters for you, but you know, it, that's real, especially in the United States. That's fucking it's real. Fu- and even in, and I say this as somebody who has survived sexual assault, I've been in multiple abusive relationships from, I'm not comparing them, but like all, emotional, financial, sexual, physical, like I've yeah. been subject to all of those things in a variety of relationships. And even then, sometimes it's not viable to leave. I was fortunate that I didn't have children. So my options right. were a little more flexible, right. but I see women all the yeah. time who are in horrible situations. And they're like, if I leave, my children are going to be in danger. And that also changes the conversation from instead of do I stay or do I go to how do I stay in the shit show and maintain some semblance of cohesion? It's really tough, but I really want to normalize. Like not everyone has the same menu of options. And if that's you, no shame. That is a whole other conversation because I have thoughts about you know, staying in marriages to protect children. Um, I don't, it's actually the, the, the research shows that it's actually not the best idea, but it's it's like, it is a whole other conversation. And again, I'm not prescribing. I just get that it's nuanced and the whole abusive leave is so like, if only it were that simple. Right. And 75% of domestic homicides occur when the woman leaves. So usually the woman, so that's, you know, so there is where there's so much to consider, right? So you're right. So like, okay, what are your options, right? What are the options? And I think so many of us get stuck because we know we're, we're actually scared that we're going to make the same choice over again, right? If I'm just going to do this again, maybe, you know, the devil I know is better than the devil I don't, (laughs) right? Um, And so this sort of speaks to some of the, the like past stuff, Mm -hmm right? That we get stuck in. We get stuck in the cycle. We get stuck in the past. We get stuck in the trauma. And you address a lot of these issues in your Well, a lot of people think that they're stuck and they should leave. I hear things like, I just want to move on and I want to let it go. And I want to leave the past in the past. And that's all freaking well and good, except the past is in your nervous system. And the past, it doesn't stay in the past. We we carry our stories with us in our bodies. And we're not taught that trauma isn't just, I was in a bad relationship or I was in a war. Trauma is anything that overwhelms our brain's processing ability. It's like indigestion. It's brain indigestion. So if we're not taught how our brain 
brain works. You know, the other reason I wrote the book, I'm like, here's driver's ed for the brain. Cause neuroscience sometimes has its head so far up its ass. You can't understand it. And it's like how, and then some and then people who aren't, you know, based in science, just like make shit up. So it's like, how do we take this amazing research and make it understandable and actionable? So, you know, Hey, this is why you freeze during conflict. This is why you want to flee during conflict. And here are things you can do. Cause like fight, flight, freeze is a thing. I wasn't taught that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It's so real. Yeah. It's so real. I didn't know that. I didn't know the extent of it actually until, I mean, I did, right. Cause I've been doing this for a number of years. And of course I understood it theoretically and conceptually and all that stuff. But until I had just like a year and a half ago, a severe trauma um, response where I was in freeze and I didn't know it, but I was in freeze for like, it's not just like, Oh, something happens in your body and you freeze. It's also like my whole, my whole nervous system shut down and I couldn't function for a week or two. And I was like, I'm staring at the walls. I'm not. And my therapist finally, like, yes, this is, you're having a trauma response. This is freeze. I was like, Oh, (laughs) it's like, Oh, it couldn't, it's more than just like in this moment, I freeze. It's like a, it can be a long-term thing. I didn't know dissociation was a form of freeze. Cause I lived my whole life in my head, just sort of floating around. And it's like, guess what? Dissociation is a freeze state. Oh crap. Well, your therapist sounds awesome. Our therapist should get together and chat because it's like, I'm so glad that people are teaching this stuff now. But if you don't know that dissociation, doom scrolling can be a freeze response, being stuck on the couch during a seven hour binge-a-thon. And again, it's not justifying it. It's not like, oh, don't worry. You're just in freeze. It's no, here's why you're stuck. You're not lazy. You're not crazy. You're not unmotivated. You're not a chronic procrastinator. You're stuck in freeze. So let's work with what is instead of the shame stories, because one, the shame stories aren't useful and two, they're not true. I need to go back to, you just (laughs) said, said, I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying that the fact that I spent like most of my twenties and thirties in my head, and I used to call myself a head on legs, right? completely dissociated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not that I love you or dissociated, but head on legs is brilliant. Right. I mean, it was, it was completely dissociated and I never really recognized that that was dissociation and that that was trauma and that that's freeze. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about that at all. Dissociation is a self-protection measure. Even things like procrastination, which people get really mad at me when I say that they're like, Oh, are you just justifying doing nothing? I'm like, yes, that's exact. No, I'm saying there's a reason that you're not doing the thing you want to do. And it's not that you suck. It's that you're in freeze. And that you know, when we can identify the problem accurately, we can do something about it versus up. Oh, I guess you just suck. Cause you procrastinate. Like that's not helpful and it's not accurate. So let's use accurate words so we can feel better and do the things we want to do. So you say like, there's no such thing as procrastination. There's no such thing as being lazy. No one's like just lazy. Let me, right? let me put a disclaimer on that. Cause I can like feel people listening, tensing up here. Like yeah, there is yeah. such a thing as us not doing the things that we want to be doing. You know, like there is such a right. thing as, you know, I'm super, I don't want to do anything. All I want to do is lay here. But the problem is not that you are a procrastinator. The problem is that your system is freaked out. Why is it freaked out? I don't know. We'll figure that out later, but it's freaked out. And so in order to figure out how to get moving, we need to understand our brain 
decides what is safe and what isn't. Whether or not we logically feel unsafe is irrelevant. If our brain feels unsafe, we're going to shut down. Now we could do something about it. We're not like, guess what? You're just, you know, doomed to stay this way. But we need to know that being unmotivated isn't actually a thing. Your brain's always motivated. It's either motivated to protect yourself and stay small or to go do what you want it to do. It's one or the other. Right. Okay. And this is why you say we can't think ourselves yes. forward, right? Because if 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 you're stuck, you're stuck. And this is why you can't take like big steps. And like, <laughs> I am going to now be right. Like, uh, I used to do that. I used to like go take a yoga class and be like, Oh my God, I love it. I'm going to become a yoga instructor. I did the same thing. <laughs> did, it didn't happen. It did. No, no, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I went from, I take one class and I really enjoy it <laughs> to I'm going to conquer it and be it. <laughs> I did the same. And social media is like, I love the power of the internet for good. But when you see people doing the things that the, like the last, you know, once they've climbed the mountain, it's super like, you know, I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, but like, you're not seeing me posting when I was in the throngs of addiction, having a 12 step sponsor talk me through eating a yogurt for an hour and a half. I'm not like Facebook live. Brit has gotten out of bed after a week and is putting a spoonful of yo play in her mouth. It's just not sexy to look at that stuff, but that's, what's happening. That's how we get there. That's right. That's right. And we, and, you know, speaking of, of, of 12 steps, right. The, the, the internet, social media is like the definition of comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Exactly. Like, right. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like the very definition and it's comparing our beginnings to other people's, you know, not endings, but you know, further along. So yeah, I, I always, I always say that. And I love that you, that you just claim that, that you, were, <laughs> that you were a hot mess, you know, cause I was too, we all were, and that's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Um, okay. So we can't think, why can't we think ourselves out of this? Why can't we think ourselves forward? So infuriating, right? Cause I work with very capable, intelligent, like go get them type of people. And it's like, all my logic tells me I should be able to do the thing. I have the resources. I have the support. What's my problem. Why am I not doing the damn thing? It's like, well, you can logic your way. You can act like logic and affirmation is good. I'm not saying don't do it. Like thought work is really useful, but your nervous system speaks a different language than logic, thoughts, and words. Your nervous, your nervous system speaks the language of sensation. Sorry, I'm, I've had so much coffee today. And so like- <laughs> We need, to do th- <laughs> we need to do things when we're stuck that help our body settle, not that help our brains think more and ruminate more and logic more. For example, winter is the best time to start a new habit if you live somewhere cold because it's really hard to be stuck in literally freeze while being physically cold. So if you're feeling like you're spinning, hold some ice cubes, stick your head in the freezer, take the coldest shower you can possibly stand because that sort of jolts your nervous system out of this state of, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what do I do, what do I do? Into action. It's sort of like a quick jolt that shakes the snow globe up. So once the pieces get moving, then you can start making decisions and then you can use your thought work and your logic. But first, your mental health is physiological. It's nervous system based and then it's thought based it's first body second brain mm, i love that i love that so okay so speaking about that right you 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 also say that mental health is not a mental process right it's not about your brain it's not about this your mind all, it's so it's, it's so nitpicky mind. right it's like 
brain. No, it is about your brain. It is about your brain. It's, <laughs> it's not your, not your brain. About your mind. Oh my God, this <laughs> ah, words. Well, okay. So when I say that yeah. mental health is a physical process, I am not saying eat vegetables and get sunshine and take walks and you won't have depression. I am not saying that. I am saying that mental health is first, yeah. first a result of, is our nervous system safe and regulated? Because a nervous system that's dysregulated is going to look like panic disorder. It's going to look like depression. That's not, that's not that you're not suffering. It's just that it's not a disease or a disorder all the time. Sometimes it's your nervous system freaking out reasonably in even if you have an awesome marriage and awesome kids and plenty of money, the global pandemic was completely unprecedented. And if your nervous system freaks out, you're going to have symptoms. And again, the, the yep. pain is real. The symptoms are real, but the things that we call disorders or diseases, are not, and I take psych meds. I'm not anti-medication. I'm saying, what if the problem isn't you? What if your body is right. doing what your body was designed to do, which is when things feel unsafe, turn the smoke alarm off, you know, send the fire alarms off. And that, that is a lot of what's happening in our bodies. Right. Right. And so what do we do with that information? Right. So like, <laughs> like, great, great. So my, my nervous system is on like overdrive and sending off the smoke alarms and like, right. And and it's, and it's letting me know that I'm in trauma, that I am activated, whatever it is, whatever it's letting me know, what do I do? Like during, when, especially when it's chronic, right? So let's say during a global pandemic or when I'm in an abusive marriage, right? Like going and grabbing a, you know, a bowl full of ice and sticking my hands in the ice is like, okay, that'll, that'll like wake my nervous system For a up second. and jolt it. For a second, but I'm still in the thing. I'm still in the pandemic. I'm still in the abusive mm -hmm. relationship. I'm still in the thing that my nervous system is trying to protect me from. Right. I'm glad you said that because I'm certainly not saying like just stick your head in the fridge and all is well. But <laughs> all your problems will go away. Just add water and stir. <laughs> right. It's just that simple. But uh -huh. of course not. But sometimes the <laughs> fastest way to slow down, like, let's say you're panicking, let's say you're in an abusive relationship and getting out is not a viable option today. Sometimes just telling yourself, you know what? It makes sense that I'm panicking. Like it makes sense. I have no legitimately nothing I can do about it today. But if all I can do today is normalize that my body's doing what my body is supposed to do, nothing will slow yes. a panic reaction down faster than telling yourself. I am having a panic reaction. This is a trauma response. I'm not crazy. Cause what do we do? And I was like this too. We start panicking and then we're panicking because we're panicking. Then it's, I don't know why I'm panicking and I don't know what's going on. That's going to ramp up our system. So if our self-talk mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. change from why am I feeling this way to, of course I'm right. feeling this way. I don't really know all of what's happening, but my brain makes sense and my brain is on my side. And then step two. So step one, validate what's happening. I'm in an abusive relationship. Of course, my nervous system's freaking out. Step two, what are my choices for safe, supportive resources today? Not in my perfect vision board world in 10 years, but like who's available today? Can someone help me with childcare? Can someone walk the dog so I can cry in my bathroom for a few hours? Like what is available to me so I can get from one breath? Forget about one day to the next. Like sometimes it's literally one breath, one heartbeat to the next that you're trying to do. So fine, let's not pretend, like don't set a level 10 expectation. If you're in a level negative five situation, we want to make sure our expectations match our resources. Mm, that's so great. And then you just keep doing that. Like every literally, day, right? every yeah. Time. yeah, yeah. Because those little, so what you're saying is that those little 
steps will add up. Like they do. Those micro, right? The 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 positive self-talk as opposed to the negative self-talk or just the validation. It doesn't even have to be positive, mm-hmm. right? It's just valid validating self-talk. Yes. Right. That will that adds up when you're training, you're building new neural pathways over and over again from that state to, of course, I feel this way. Of course, I feel this way. Of course, I feel this way. Yes. And people- so that pretty soon yes. you're not having to do it consciously. Exactly. Exactly. Now, some people get re- like, well, so, so just validating myself, that's all I need to do. It's like, no, that's not all you need to do. But how often do we minimize that step? Because it seems so stupidly easy, but it's hard to do. It, it is hard to do. And then, so, so then what you're doing, right, is actually creating the space for your brain yes. to then think logically yes, exactly, exactly. about forward the next steps, right? Because then when your trauma, you know, your amygdala sort of calm down and the trauma, your, you know, your, uh, your trauma response is calm, then you're able to make logical, thoughtful plans. I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I tell people I work with stay away from both positive and negative thinking. What we're wanting is accurate thinking because a lot of times positive thinking is a bunch of horseshit. And a lot of times negative thinking doesn't reflect the full spectrum of reality. Like, yes, everything is shit, but I have two people in my life that will it a heartbeat, let me come over. If it's in the middle of the night and I need to call someone at 3 a.m., I know I have two people on call that can help me do that or whatever. It's like positive thinking ignores the reality of pain. Negative thinking ignores the reality of resource. And so we want accurate thinking. So instead of saying to yourself, am I thinking positive? Just say, is what you're saying true? And get used to asking yourself, how true is this thought? You know, we can qu- just because we think it doesn't mean we have to believe it. And now a word from our sponsor the Divorce Survival Program. Now that you know that divorce is on the horizon, you need to get up to speed on how all of this works. Stat. You probably have a million and one questions swirling through your head from how and when do we tell the kids to will my ex and I ever get along again and just about everything in between. You've got legal questions, you've got financial questions, and you've got a whole host of questions about your kids. And that doesn't even touch how you'll start your life over again. Lucky for you, I have the answers to all of your questions. As one of the pioneers of the divorce coaching industry, I've been helping women navigate the divorce process for the last decade. And now for the first time ever, all of my divorce wisdom is available in one online program. The Divorce Survival Program will help you process the emotional fallout of your divorce so you don't go into mediation bitter or resentful. It'll help you understand the difference between litigation, mediation, collaborative divorce, and identify which is right for you. It'll help you tell your husband you want a divorce in a way that doesn't keep you stuck in a circular conversation for the next three months. It'll help you tell your kids you're getting a divorce in a way that won't completely break them. It'll help you understand how your divorce will impact your friends and family and what conversations are appropriate to have with each. It'll help you create appropriate and healthy boundaries with your ex and learn about dating after divorce and how that will affect you, your kids, and yes, even your ex. But most important, the most important thing this program will help you do is protect your children from any unnecessary fallout from an ugly and contentious divorce litigation. And that, my love, is fucking priceless. So sign up today. 
Go to kateanthony.com slash getting divorced. And don't forget to use the code DSGPOD for $50 off. That's DSGPOD, Divorce Survival Guide Podcast, because that's where you heard it. DSGPOD will give you $50 off. So once again, that's kateanthony.com slash getting divorced. And now back to our episode. Okay, so let's, we're talking about negative, negative self-talk. So let's talk about that chatter. Let's talk about that, you know, our inner critics and whether they're useful or not. (laughs) Anyone who's been in any of my programs will recognize this conversation. (laughs) Where is the useful, where's the usefulness of this negative self-talk? How does it, how does it quote, help us or anxiety or like any of those things. Well, so, okay. So the inner critic, I'll speak to that first because anxiety has a little bit of a different approach. Assume your inner critic is a very well-meaning, but totally unskilled friend who means, well, it's like, she's trying to help or he or they, they want to help. They're just really bad at it. So, you know, it's <laughs> sort of like if you, it's exactly what I say. I love it so bad. I love it. It's exactly what I say. They don't know any better. So when you think a critical thought actually, get used to an inner dialogue instead of an inner monologue. Instead of like, I suck. Part of me is thinking that I said, thank you for your suggestion. I got this from here is a great like mantra to say, like, thank you for your input. Like, Britt, you suck. You should just go do a bunch of drugs and eat a bunch of food and blah. Thank you for your suggestion. I got this. I'm good. Like, I appreciate your help. You know, you you can do your thing. I gotcha. Go take a coffee break, take a smoke break, whatever. But like, they're trying to help. So if we can take the war of the inner critic versus highest self and just calm it down to well-meaning, but unskillful friends, that will create space for logic. Anxiety, think of anxiety like the smoke alarm or the check engine light on your dashboard. It's like, it's not the problem. It's a signal that there's a problem. Mm, Right. Right. Okay. I want to go back to the inner critic, right? Because if your inner critic is like, uh, Brett, you should go take a bunch of drugs and eat a bunch of food and all of that. Like, how is that me? How is that well-meaning? Right. Cause I can hear a lot of people being like, well, that's, that's kind of mean. Like, why would that be well-meaning? So doing drugs is not a good choice. So I'm not saying it is. However, we get addicted to drugs because for a while they feel good and they take away our pain. That's not a sustainable or viable or legal solution, but it, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't get addicted to things if they weren't useful in some capacity, even when it's destroying right. my life, I still would rather do a drug. Well, there was a time where I would rather do a drug than face my pain. So it's like, it's pain management. It's not a good thing, but like, how is telling me to go eat a bunch of food protective? Because if I stuff my face, then I can obsess about my weight instead of thinking about my feelings or something else. Like there's a protective mechanism to even the most unhealthy toxic behaviors. I'm not justifying them. It's not like, it's mm-hmm, not like your kid mm-hmm. gets to say to you, Oh, I'm so sorry that I stole the car and stole your money and did drugs. I was protecting myself. It's like, we understand the function so we can change it, but all behavior has right. function or we wouldn't do it. Right. Oh my God. I love that. I love that. That's so helpful. So, okay. So anxiety, that's a check engine light. That's like, you've got something going on. So then how do you like, there's something wrong. Something's happening alert, alert, alert. 
And then you're supposed to look under the hood and figure out what's wrong. Well, we're not taught how to do that. We're not taught that that there's even like a hood to look under. It's like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Don't ask what's wrong with you. Start by saying my check engine light is on. I have neither the time nor the space nor the emotional bandwidth to figure out what the fuck is going on. I just know something is wrong. Cool. Got it. Step two. What are my choices? What are my people, places, thoughts, or things that will help my brain feel a little less freaked out? Even if I'm going from a 10 to a seven, that's or from a 10 to a nine, or from a 10 to a 9.8, anywhere we can bring relief will help turn the logic on. So when you're when you start freaking out, it's not why do I feel this way? It's not what's wrong with me. It's who and what and where are my options to have a little bit of relief. Logic's not going to be on that list because it doesn't work. I love that. Oh my God. So good. So good. So we're stuck in, we're stuck in this relationship, right? I hear this all the time. Like I can't make a decision. I don't know what to do. I, you know, should I stay or should I go? (laughs) Right. And you said like, let's think about what your options are today. Right. How are, how, how is this going to help people move from, even if it's not trauma, like I, you know, so many people who are like, who are like, he's fine. It's fine. I'm just not happy is that good enough? You know, I feel so stuck. What would you say to them? That one's so tricky. I mean, to a large degree, it was easy for me to know I was in a bad relationship because I had like bruises on my face. But even then, you know, at least not at least I'm not comparing. I'm saying that one was a little bit easier because it's clear that there is toxicity when something is good enough. And, you know, he doesn't hit me and he doesn't yell at me and it's fine. And he's a good enough dad and there's nothing really wrong. I'm just not happy. Holy crap. The shame that hits that, you know, it's like, who the hell am I to want to be happy? Who am I? It's not like he's beating me. How dare I consider my own happiness? Like, holy shit, the shame of that. That is next level. And I I hold space for it every day, very compassionately, because I get that. That is a toughie. And that's a whole nother thing. Well, where did you learn that you're not allowed to be happy? And where did you? And then we go digging into that whole mess. Yes, we do. That's exactly, yeah. Well, right. And that's exactly, I mean, we're just so aligned here, obviously. Um, You know, because that's my, you know, my thing is, first of all, like, right, where did you get the message that you're not allowed to be happy and that your suffering is more important than, you know, or, or, you know, that you need to suffer in order to make everybody else around you happy. And let's look at the patriarchy and let's look at the systems of oppression, women that like have us be the slaves to everybody else's happiness and start to, shift the shift that narrative and let's let's check in about your daughter is this what you want for your daughter right it's so tricky right and then even if you're in a mad relationship or in a violent and crazy one the thing we need to know that no one tells us that i have since learned is that leaving a relationship even a bad relationship requires a detox and withdrawal yes. not unlike detoxing for, and i've detoxed off of yeah. hard drugs i am not saying they're the same i'm saying they're pretty well, damn they're similar, similar in the brain the like, brain doesn't know the difference Yes, which is why you're going to throw up and have diarrhea and have stomach aches and feel like physically like you are collapsed. I mean, always go to a doctor to rule out medical, (laughs) but like detox 
anything, mm-hmm. any type of major life change is going to create a detox withdrawal. If you're used to a horrible partner, when you leave, your brain is going to go, where's right. the thing? If you're walking away from just a meh partner, your brain is going to go, wait, we've had this thing for 20 years. Where's the thing? And if we don't know that we're going to hit detox and withdrawal, we're not going to plan for it. And if we don't plan for it, when we hit it, we're going to be out the door in two seconds. It's really hard to do a detox. This is why it takes an average of seven times to leave a relation, toxic relationship, right? Because, because we're, we don't plan for the withdrawal and, you know, and the problem when you have kids is that, you know, in any addiction program, any, any detox, any rehab, you're going to go pretty much cold Turkey, unless you're going to be on methadone, but you know, right. You're going to have to go through the withdrawal and go cold Turkey. But when you have kids, you don't get that luxury. You still have to Mm -hmm. communicate with them. You still, it's like, you're still getting the hit and, you know, and, and suffering, right. It's like, I'm smoking, I'm smoking one cigarette a day instead of of 20, but I'm still smoking. But like, so the, like the whole thing takes longer and it's worse. And it's awful. And people, again, don't know that. So if I'm working with someone going through a divorce, it's like open a separate email so that when you see the partner or the ex-partner's name come up, you're going to get a hit. It's not going to be a pleasant hit, but it will be a nervous system ping. Create another email and then block them on your primary email so that you don't have to always have that anticipation of this time in my, like this time, is it going to be in there? This time, what's going to, whose attorney is going to come at me with a thing? So create separate channels of communication. Co-parenting apps are genius for that stuff. Genius. Yes. Right. But there's neural, like neurological science to back Mm -hmm. that up. It's like, don't put those things, especially with children in the places where you're going to constantly, you can't hit detox and withdrawal if you're still in it all the time. And even if you are in a horrible situation, 50 emails a day from a toxic partner is going to keep you quote high. It's just going to be a really unpleasant high. Yes. That's right. And this is where, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about, you know, we do the emotional, uh, separate, we do that. We do the physical separation. We do the legal separation, but we forget to do that final psychological, you know, separation. And it's the hardest part. It's so hard. And it's not just, in, again, it's not in your head. Yeah. It's like you get chemicals from this, this right. dynamic and you're not going to get right. those chemicals. You're not going to get those hormones and those neurotransmitters. It's physiological. It's not just a mental game of, I just, I know the relationship's bad for me and now I'm getting a divorce. So I should mm-hmm. feel happy. That's going to create yeah. shame and it's going to create more stuckness. It's like, nope, I'm withdrawing off of a bad drug and it's good that I'm right. quitting the drug, but the withdrawal means I'm not getting the chemical that I'm used to, which means, oh shit. This in is my the, brain. you know, this is the trauma bond. This is like the science of the trauma bond, which is gnarly. <laughs> Those are wild. I didn't know what they were until many, many relationships and many, many therapists later. And trauma bonds are very, they're not a metaphor. It's like, there's an attachment thing that happens in your yeah. brain and breaking it is very, very it is so hard. It is so hard. And yeah. really the only the only way to do it is, is to go through it, is to like actually go through it. And, and, and to, as you said, to understand what's happening in your brain so that you can prepare for it. 
Exactly. It's like with drug, you know, I've worked inpatient, you know, I've been inpatient and I've worked inpatient Mm -hmm. as a therapist. When we know that, you know, the first seven days of a drug withdrawal, like if you quit heroin, here's what will happen in the first 72 hours. We know that. So why are you expecting yourself to give a presentation when you hit hour 30 of a heroin? Nobody quitting heroin would expect that of themselves. But people quitting relationships are like, why can't I function? And why can't I focus? And why am I not remembering everything at work? It's like, oh my God, your brain, like, why are you putting this level 10 expectation while you're going through withdrawal? It's like, as much as you have the ability and the privilege and the luxury to choose, even if you only have a little bit of choice, how can you accommodate what is going to be hell for the first, you know, initial days and weeks? So brilliant. So brilliant. So brilliant, Brett. Thank you. I love your work. I'm such oh a fan. God, girl I'm now. such a fan. Of yeah, I know. This is, this is like, <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you so much. Oh my God. You're so great. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, one more thing that I want to ask you about is self-sabotage. <sighs> Thank you for saying that. This goes with the inner critic. And I love that we're aligned on this because I can say this self-sabotage is a it's a suboptimal way of self-protection. I'm going to say that another way. Self-sabotage is not because you're trying to fuck yourself. It's because you're trying to protect yourself and survive. Why would I try to sabotage something good? Because it's scary. The unknown, it's scary. Change. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to create a whole new neural pathway. All change, even good change is scary to your amygdala. So it's like self-sabotage is just a way, it's not just, but it is a way that we try to self-protect. So instead of calling it that, then again, more shame. Thank you, Dr. Brene Brown for teaching us that shame is not helpful. Like in the, in the, like beat ourselves up kind of thing. Don't shame yourself for self-sabotaging. Go, oh, wow, my brain was super scared. So I made this choice. And then the three most useful words when you're when you're stuck are to tell yourself, well, that made sense. It's not good. I'm not it. justifying it. I'm saying, say that made sense. That makes sense. Okay. What, what are, and then step two, what are my options? Step three, pick a small, you know, pick a small thing and do it. But learn the phrase that makes sense and say it to yourself a hundred times a day. This is so, it's so great. It's so great. I love it. I love it. I, I like, I'm, I'm debating <laughs> telling a story about my own self-sabotage. Um, but I'm, I think I'm going to, cause it's an, it's a great example, right? So when, when I was, uh, an actor for 30 years, whatever most people know that I was, um, and I was like beginning my career in New York and I was, you know, I was very successful in, in certain avenues and, um, television and stuff. And I was working a lot, but I would get, I would sort of get to a point and I would quote self-sabotage. I would, and I had no idea I was doing it, but I had a very close friend, family friend who was the executive producer of a soap opera. And I went into screen test for a role. And she said later, she told me, she said, Katie, your, your, uh, first audition was so brilliant. And your screen test, she said, I saw you undermine yourself. I saw you completely sabotage yourself is what she said. And because she was a close family friend, she said, and she said this to me years later because she became a coach. (laughs) So, and she's the one who got me into coaching. And so it was, it was, you know, we were having this conversation 20 years later and she said, you know, it was, I could see it happening and it was about your mom. And I could see that it was about your mom because you were about to outperform her because my mom had been an actor too. And my mom had been in soaps. 
but she had never been, you know, a, a regular on a soap. Right. So it was like, and she's like, and I saw it, I could see it happening. I knew that it was about, and I, and for, for probably a decade after that, I was like, but why would I do that? Like, why would I say, cause it made perfect sense. Like she said it and I was like, that resonates. And I have no idea why I could not get under it until I realized like it took a, like a decade of processing for me to realize that yes, I did. Because if I outperformed my mom, if I outshone her, she would stop loving me in whatever world that, I mean, my mother would never stop loving me, but I, the message that I got growing up was that her love was conditional. And that if I outperformed her, I would lose her love and that I would then die because in the infant brain, you die without your mother's love. (laughs) Right. And it was like such, such an incredible, it wasn't even a light bulb moment. Again, it was like a, it was like a 20 year progression, right. That I wasn't sabotaging myself. I was protecting myself to keep my mother's love. I love that you brought up mother wound stuff in the context that we're talking about, because first of all, we can go on for another three hours about surpassing mom. And, you know, like largely I thought all my relationship issues were daddy issues. And like, yeah, I had those too, (laughs) but one of the most powerful medicines when you're in a divorce or when you're getting out of a bad relationship is doing mother wound work. Cause if you don't have a live mother, or if you don't know who your mother is, or if your mother means well, but she's profoundly unskilled, or if she just sucks doing self, <laughs> doing self, all <laughs> outcomes, doing self mothering is for, I'll use myself and what I've seen with clients, self mothering is one of the most powerful ways of breaking trauma bonds because the trauma bond is an attachment type of thing. And if you don't have an internalized sense of home is inside my own body. Mother quote is the nurturer, the educator, the protector starts with me. Then you're going to stay trauma bonded to someone else. Because if we outsource the role of protector parent, we're going to stay stuck with them. So doing the, you know, attachment work of remothering and there's some, what Kelly McDaniel colleague of mine wrote a wonderful book called mother hunger, which I love. And it's, it's not about abusive relationships or divorce, but holy crap, that work is powerful for getting us past that hump of why do I say, why do I say, I want to go, I'm ready to go. I really want to go. And nevertheless, I'm here mother wound work. Whether or not you think you had a good mom, this is not about your physical mom. This is about becoming a parent to yes. yourself. And sometimes I think people who have wonderful, nurturing, completely nurturing mothers also are stunted in their ability to mother themselves, right? Because like it was outsourced yes. <laughs> it was like, and it was outsourced exactly. really well. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If you had a good mom, you want to keep the role assigned to her. And if you had a shitty one, you want to redo it. And so find somebody else to cover the role, but we have to grieve the parents. We got the ones we didn't get and take over the role of mom or relationships are going to continue to be very, very, I mean, they're difficult either way. When you're getting out of a bad one, the mother wound work will help. Okay. Like really, I love that. Like I'm going to look, I'm going to read that book. <laughs> so, more work to be done. There's always more work to be done. Isn't there? <laughs> it's not a, it's not a fun read, but it's a powerful read. And she's beautifully compassionate as a mother and writing it. Like, this is not about you messing up your kids, read it as a daughter. Don't read it as a mother. And I just can't oh, say enough. Yeah. I'm going to read it as a mother <laughs> and I'm going to freak out. <laughs> 
thanks for that <laughs> disclaimer, that warning. <laughs> oh my gosh, Britt, I just adore you. And we could talk I, literally all day. Um, <laughs> but tell everyone where they can find you. Um, I will be doom scrolling or being boundaryless on Instagram. And you can find me there at Britt Frank and Britt has two T's. And my website is scienceofstuck.com. I adore you. Everyone go buy the book. I'm going to go buy the book. And did we talk about this in uh, when we were recording or before we recorded about it, that there's like two lab, three levels? Oh, that was before. Okay. So I wrote the book for my own ADD brain and for my own younger self. Don't read the book in order. You don't have to go start, like sit down in the bathroom. And when you're going to pee, open the book, whatever page you open is going to be a nugget. And if you don't want to read it all at the end of every chapter, I have a, here are the 10 points of the chapter. Here are your five takeaways. Here's a do's and don'ts list. And here are three things you can do in a few minutes to get yourself moving. It's very pragmatic. That's like my favorite book. That's my favorite kind of book. I cannot wait. Britt, thank you so much. I just adore you. Everybody go buy Britt's book and check her out on Instagram. She's amazing. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember... You, my love, deserve to be happy.